Amen, amen, amen. Let's read the scriptures together. Sermon text today is Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. If you uh, are just uh, turning on a device and joining us for the first time, we've been going through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes for several weeks now, and today we conclude our study of it. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. Um, and if you, if you want, of course, you can stand wherever you're at <laughs> as we read the scriptures together. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way of the Spirit, the way the Spirit comes into the bones in to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he, he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And this is God's word. Thanks be to God. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us, and what we are not, please make us. For Christ's sake we pray. 
Amen. Uh, throughout the years, famous uh, leaders have published books uh, describing how they became successful. Uh, they share their stories. They offer insights, uh, lessons they've learned uh, through the years. I read of uh, one of those several years back, uh, a book called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, who is the creator of Nike. And uh, the book describes basically how Phil Knight solved his own problem, uh, which was running shoes. Uh, by creating running shoes. And this is Solomon, a successful guy, uh, at least uh, in uh, a, a reflection on Solomon's life, if Solomon himself is not the actual author, reflecting upon uh, the various things in life that he experienced, giving us lessons that he's learned along the way. And he's been addressing his own problems, which hasn't been running shoes, but uh, has been the futility of life, life under the sun, the problem of the unpredictable nature of life, the inevitability of death, and the search for meaning and joy. We've covered a lot of ground in this study. This is our 11th uh, sermon in this series. The section starts off, the book starts off in chapter 1 by uh, Solomon raising this, this dominant theme in the book, vanity, futility, brevity. Um, uh, and then he goes into this section in chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, talking about despair and joy, how people search for pleasure and uh, enjoyment in all these various idols, basically. And they, they, these, this quest leads them to despair and how joy is only found in relationship to our God. Mm talks in chapter 3 about time and eternity, how uh, there's a season for everything. Uh, some seasons are obviously less enjoyable uh, than others, um, but how God is, has written eternity on the hearts of humanity. We looked at hardship and companionship in chapter 4, the, the great value of being content, uh, a, a handful of quietness, and the great value of friendship. We talked about reverence and awe in worship in chapter 5. We talked about greed and God in the following chapter. We talked about mortality and adversity in chapter 6 and 7. Reality and redemption at the end of 7. Last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about wisdom and joy, followed by wisdom and folly. And now the subject is young and old. Uh, we see some of the same themes that, we, that I've just highlighted but now there's, there's particular focus given to the idea of fearing God and enjoying God through the various stages and ages of our lives. We see that the, the preacher here is, is speaking, especially to the young, about the kind of life that you should, you should live. Now, if you're a young person and you're watching this, you really should pay attention. Uh, you should always pay attention, but this week is, is a really good one for you to pay attention as he's saying, especially to you as a young person, here's how you should live. Now, as I thought about this, I thought about how today nobody wants to, to be old, it seems. Um, we, we, we do everything we can to sort of uh, stop the aging process. I remember uh, several months ago now when that aging app uh, came out and everybody was taking pictures um, of what they would look like in, I don't know, 30 to 40 years. And uh, this is the picture of, of me and Kimberly. Uh, we, we are madly in love uh, in this picture. That's, <laughs> that's where I'm going. You'll notice the hairstyle. Well, you can't see the hair, but the hairstyle will not change. I told Kimberly when we got married, she knew what she was going to get when it came to a uh, hairstyle. All you guys freaking out about not going to the barbershop during the pandemic. 
I have no sympathy for you. At least you have hair. I haven't been to the barber in over 20 years, by the way. Anyway, uh, and then I thought about this uh, meme that was going around uh, several years ago about ministers, uh, where the guy says, you know, who says ministry is stressful? Uh, <laughs> I'm only 35 and I feel great. <laughs> that might be what some of you feel like during the uh, coronavirus pandemic right now. Uh, the aging process, especially for you with, uh, with all the little kids. Uh, you just, you just feel that. Well, that's, that's the world we live in, right? Surgeons perform millions of plastic surgeries. Um, and most of them, they will tell you, uh, were not necessary. It's simply to try to improve one's physical appearance. And this desire to look youthful and to remain youthful forever uh, can really turn into obsession and can turn into idolatry. And so whatever age you are this morning, whether you're young or old or in between, uh, the teacher wants you to experience life rightly in your present moment, in every season. So there are four things I want you to see, four truths uh, in chapters 11 and 12 regarding life. He says, first of all, that life is an adventure, so live by faith. Look in verse 1. It's, it's sort of a, a series of uh, ancient tweets given here by the author. And you might even call these tweets what we call now a thread of tweets uh, because he's talking about the, again, the uncertainty of life and he uses two analogies. He uses the analogy of a merchant and he uses an analogy of a farmer. And he's speaking here about the need to live by faith uh, in the present moment. It's an adventure, life is an adventure. That's, that's a positive way to say it's uncertain. It's unpredictable. You never know what is going to happen. Four or five times you see this phrase, you never know, you never know, you never know, you never know. And that's where we're at today, right? The passage could not be more relevant when it comes to this subject. So he says in verse one, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Now what uh, Solomon or Kohelet is saying here is, um, this is an ancient, uh, uh, way of talking about shipping, the shipping business. Um, cast your bread upon the waters, that is your, your goods upon the ships, um, and after many days you will find it. That is, the other ships will come in, the ships that you are, the people that you were trading with, will, will, the ships will, will come back. And so he, he's uh, referencing here this, this venture of faith that you, you cast your bread on the waters, you send your ships out, and you believe that other ships will come in. Now, um, Solomon would be the right guy to talk about this because he was so heavily involved in shipping, in trade. Uh, so in 1 Kings chapter 10, uh, verse 15, for example, we read that, Besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. So you've got this picture of uh, uh, trade and uh, business from, from all over the world. In verse 22 of 1 Kings uh, 10, uh, for the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea and the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, uh, apes, and peacocks. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, once every three years, uh, you, you would see the stuff come back. And so he's basically saying, send out your goods in ships and it will be a while. It requires, you see, faith and patience uh, to, to see the ships come back in. 
Now, verse two is also another uh, tweet, another proverb about business. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. And this is basically Solomon's way of saying, diversify your investments. Um, don't put all your stock in one place. Or as we say today, uh, a popular proverb is, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Why? Because you don't know what kind of disaster might happen on the earth. Uh, and so he's, he's, he's saying here that, that true faith uh, is not presumption, uh, but it requires wisdom. And it, it requires a, a sense that uh, you don't know what might happen, right? Um, anything can happen to your ship. If you only have one ship, uh, it could get hit by a, it could run off on, on a reef, right? Uh, uh, Jack Sparrow could come and, and, and rob it. Um, it might crash in a storm. Anything can happen to your ship. So you better have six or seven ships uh, just to be safe because you don't know what kind of crisis uh, might happen on the earth. So what he's saying here is that uh, to, to live in an unpredictable world requires both wisdom and faith. Um, the uncertainty of life, we'll get to this more in a minute, doesn't mean we do nothing. It doesn't mean we live in fear, and it doesn't mean we live passively or carelessly. But rather, the uncertainties should, uh, should not keep us from, from being bold, but, but being faithful uh, from in, in being wise. And now is the time for that, right? Now is the time for a courage through Christ kind of life. I love what Riken says as you think about broadening this application beyond business into the, the, the kingdom of God work, so to speak. He says, rather than holding on to what we have, hoarding it all for ourselves, which is the error that the man who with one talent made in a parable that Jesus told, God invites us to be venture capitalists for the kingdom of God. It is about having holy boldness to do seven or eight things to spread the gospel and then waiting for God's ships to come in. Some of the things that we attempt may fail or at least seem to fail at the time. Some of the ministries we start, for example, or the churches we plant or the efforts we make to share the goods of the, the good news of the cross and the empty tomb. We should never stop investing with the gospel in as many places as we can. And so let that free you up a little bit. I, I feel like we have uh, uh, in many places when it comes to ministry a, a real fear of failure. And um, I, I just think we're just, we're, we're freed up here. You're, you're freed to fail, if you will. Um, and you're really not failing if you're doing something that requires faith and wisdom and you're being faithful to the scriptures. Not every, not every venture will succeed in the same way, right? So we, we want to be like this. We live in uncertain times, but uh, we live in unpredictable times. But we want to preach far and wide. We want to train pastors. We want to plant churches. We want to publish books. We write blogs. We have podcasts. We video, you know, teaching lessons. Why? Because we're, we want the word of God to go out. We're sending our ships out, trusting that ships will come back in. That's what Solomon is on about. We trust that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the harvest and he is gathering a people for himself. Uh, and so whatever uncertainty we have, we can be certain about that today, that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the harvest and he uses his people in all kinds of times to, to see the ships come in. And we're, we're praying, aren't we, that the ships would come in.
Well, that's the, the merchant. Now, the farmer, what he does here is basically apply verses 1 and 2 with a different metaphor. Okay, So that's the same kind of idea that you live in uncertainty but still be faithful. Trust God to bring the ships in. This time it's about sowing and reaping like a, like a farmer. And so he uses the analogy of clouds and trees. Now, again, this can be somewhat confusing when you first read it, but basically the idea is this. Clouds are unpredictable. Right? The skies are, uh, can be cloudy one day and it could be bright the next day. Uh, you, you never know <laughs> what the clouds may look like. A tree, in contrast, is permanent. A tree is predictable. Right? Either the tree is there <laughs> or it has fallen where it will also die. So there's not a lot of activity uh, in the movement <laughs> of a tree unless you're watching Lord of the Rings or something like that, right? The tree is permanent. And so the idea here is that some seasons of life are like tree seasons. They are permanent. They're the normal routines of life. But other seasons, we just don't know. They're like cloud seasons, you see. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. The tree's permanent. It's just going to stay there where the clouds could just dump rain uh, one day, or it could be sunny the next day. And so what he says, verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And the point is, if you obsess so much about the uncertainty of the times, you'll never do anything. Don't watch the news so much that you are not sowing your seeds, that you are not being faithful with what God has given you. If you observe the wind all day long, the farmer will, will not sow the seed and consequently will not reap anything. So he says in verse 5, You do not know the way, of the, the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. He says that's a great mystery. <laughs> and many of you have experienced this mystery uh, several times actually, haven't you? He says, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the midst of all this uncertainty, you don't know. You don't know what God is doing. What you know is that he made everything. Over and over in Ecclesiastes, um, there are echoes of the early chapters of Genesis and um, of, of creation, of the things that we can enjoy in creation, and the, then there's this forward look to the new creation to come. What we know in a season of uncertainty is God is our creator. What we know in seasons of uncertainty is that God will make all things new. And so we don't obsess about uncertainties. We're aware of them. We plan in light of them. We, we live by faith in them. We try to live by wisdom in them. But we live in a confidence that God is reigning. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. So let me just summarize it by saying, he seems to be saying in this, this time, <clears throat> you do not know, but we sow. We just go on sowing. We go on doing good in the midst of the uncertainty of life. So, my friends, are you hoping for better conditions? Is that desire, we're all hoping for better conditions, but is that obsession, I should say, keeping you from doing the things you know you need to do? Are, 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 are the conditions keeping you from prayer or family devotions or neighbor love? Now, let's, let's remember that we may be in quarantine, but we're in quarantine with Jesus, right? 
We, we are aware that God has used trials uh, throughout our lives to make us more like Jesus. Um, I was made aware afresh this week as I was doing some writing that John Bunyan wrote one of the most popular books ever while he was in prison. Most of Paul's, some of Paul's epistles came to us as he was writing in prison. Great songs throughout the history of the church have been written in seasons of trials. I think about Luther's mighty fortress is our God. The battle cry of the Reformation was written in a time of, of crisis and perhaps even while he was in exile, holed up in a castle somewhere. Um, God can do a lot of things uh, in seasons like this. And so let's not grow weary in well-doing, believing that in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Let's not cave into fear or procrastination in this season. Those are two wrong responses for us. Let's not spend so much time pondering the trees and the clouds, the circumstances that we become uh, fearful or passive, but let's live faithfully in the present moment. Now is a great time for us to be entrepreneurs. Now is a great time to send out seven or eight uh, ships, hoping that another uh, great uh, 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 receiving of ships will happen. Let's believe that um, we have mission to, to do. Whether, again, whether or not we're, we have to be six feet apart or not. Uh, let's see the, the, the privilege we have of, of prayer in a season like this. I was reading uh, George Whitfield's biography this week, and uh, the writer points out that when the Purit many of the Puritans were imprisoned in the 1660s, the one thing they could do was pray. And I think it was in 1662, 2,000 ministers were imprisoned. And the biographer says that it, he believes it is this, the prayer of the ministers in this season that preceded the Great Awakening in the 1700s. You do not know the work of God who makes everything. But what we know is that we need to get busy doing the things he's called us to do. So life is an adventure lived by faith. Number two, life is a gift. Enjoy it and live it for God's glory. So here it is, young person, especially for you. He says, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Now he's talking again about one of these common graces that we enjoy, that is the sun, the light. Light is sweet, we enjoy the light, don't we? Just talking to Donnie earlier about yesterday, being able to work out in the yard and get some vitamin D, get some sun on my head and just enjoy uh, the, the beauty of the day. Um, some of you may work in an office where you have no window and you lament not having a window. <laughs> or uh, prisoners are confined to, to conditions that are bad. If they want to do that, they, one of the things they don't have is access to see outside. Um, we, 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 we appreciate a room with a view, don't we? We appreciate the ability to go outside and see the light. It is sweet. And there are many other things. This is representative, I think, of many other graces that God gives us uh, in this life. It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Now we have eyes. Now your eyes can lead you to sin if you're looking at the wrong thing. But your eyes, if you look rightly at the right things in the right way, should give cause for joy in your heart. And that's what happens to the Christian, right? We see the whole world differently because of our redemption in Jesus Christ. And so he says here that um, this is particularly sweet. So let us, let us thank God that we have such graces. Verse 8, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. 
And so here again, Kohelet, the, the author, is bringing us back to reality. That's what he does so well, is bring us back. He says, yes, many things to enjoy. Go for that walk today. Get some sun. You know, work in your yard. Thank God for that time. But also realize you're going to have a lot of darkness in this life. There's a lot of, lot of things to enjoy, and there are a lot of things that um, are hard. They're depressing. They're discouraging. And so he says, you'll have many of those days too. That's life. That's life. So he says in verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Now, young people have a great opportunity to be cheerful. In many ways, life, they don't want to hear this, but it's not as stressful. Um, there's stress in school and there's stress in their life, to be sure, and they can go through many hardships in relation to uh, uh, life and relationships and so on. I'm not saying that they don't have these hard times. They do. But the text here is saying, in your youth, let your heart cheer you. Um, uh, your, your future has so many opportunities. Uh, you can be less anxious. Um, I remember uh, last week, Kimberly and I were walking through our neighborhood, and <laughs> um, there were these, these two kids playing basketball, and um, they had the music blaring outside. And they were, they were, they were loud, and the, the music was, uh, the, the song was, It's the Final Countdown. If you guys remember that song, It's the Final Countdown. <laughs> And here we are, we're walking around the neighborhood, you know, worried about everything, uh, concerned about all the stuff you guys are concerned about from toilet paper to, uh, to paychecks and, and those kinds of things. And, and all the concerns that we bear in our hearts for people, you know, during this time. And they're just shooting hoops. To, it's a final countdown. I was like, oh, to be a, to be a kid again. Well, I think it's that kind of thing that, that uh, the author's talking about here. Like, in your youth, let your heart cheer you. And notice here, uh, if you're a student watch, watching this, it's not because you have a lot of things that you should be happy, but it's your heart. Let your heart cheer you, which really begs the question, right? How can my heart cheer me? Walk in the ways, next sentence, of your heart and the side of your eyes. So what are you looking at? And are you seeing the world as the Father's world? Are you seeing life as a gift from your creator in the days of your youth? Or are you consumed with Instagram? Like, uh, you, you, should, you, you have to look at the right things to get the right heart. You have to think rightly about things to have this kind of heart. And it's the same word that I need for my own soul today. Right? We, we have to tend to our heart. It, out of it flows the spring of life. And so let's do the kinds of things that we need to to cultivate a happy heart in the Lord. You remember George Mueller, the old saint, who says, that's my first business every day is to get my heart happy in the Lord. And by that, he meant prayer and the scriptures, singing, you know, connecting as best we can with other Christians during this time. Let your heart cheer you. Now, to do that, one of the things we have to be um, is people of gratitude. Right? It, it's the cheerful heart is the grateful heart. The cheerful heart can go out and see the sun and see that as a gift and be grateful. So don't take little things for granted. That's the next, the next step to that is to, to not be grateful at all. As one writer 
has put it, when we are not grateful for the little things, it is only a very short step to no longer being grateful for anything. I'm reminded this week of a story by John Stott, who, um, about John Stott, who's uh, a former pastor who went on to be with the Lord several years ago. He's one of my great heroes in the faith, John Stott, a, an Anglican uh, pastor, uh, single his whole life, uh, a wonderful expositor and, uh, uh, you know, missions mobilizer. Uh, but one of his, his biographers says that uh, one of Stott's assistants uh, brought him a cup of coffee every, every afternoon at 4.30. And every, every time she would bring it, uh, the biographer says Stott would reply the same way. She would set it down and he would say, I am not worthy. And uh, when she would protest, you know, like, oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are worthy. Stott replied, um, you don't have your theology of grace right. I, and then he says, I'm just the thin end of the wedge. They said he would mumble that as she, was, she would walk out. Um, I'm not worthy for a cup of coffee. Now, we know that we are made in the image of God, and there's a sense in which we are worthy of a cup of coffee, but when we realize today what we deserve, and if we are not under the judgment of God today, <laughs> then we should rejoice. Rejoice today because you're not in hell today. And if you can start every day recognizing that, I'm not in hell. Praise God for this coffee, right? Praise God for the Bible. Praise God uh, to be able to sing these songs. Rejoice in your heart, you see. That's heart work. That's how you rejoice in your heart. It, you have to cultivate gratitude or you won't have this kind of, of gladness. So whatever we can do to cultivate that, let's do it. And the call is to do it quickly if you're a youth because your days of youth uh, will run out soon. Now, just like the, the, the statement about uh, light and darkness, there's a balance. There are many things to enjoy, but there's going to be many days of darkness. Here is another balance. Let your heart cheer you in these little things, but also recognize uh, verse 9 all these things God will bring you into judgment. So the call is not do whatever you want and be happy, but recognize everything you do um, matters. And this, this gives real meaning to life, actually. Um, how you work matters. How you spend your money matters. Who you hang with matters, right? You, you're living your life under the gaze of our good God, yes, but also our holy God. Verse 10, one of the ways that we live a joyful life is by removing, as he says, vexation. There's a word of the day here in the ESV. Removing vexation uh, from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Vexation, that is a problem that creates anxiety. It could also create anger or grief. Remove it from your heart. Remove this pain from your body. So Solomon, again here, is not denying that we won't have trouble. He's actually saying we will. The issue is what do we do with it? And I would just encourage you, if you haven't read Matthew 6, uh, 24 and following in, in a while, to read that passage as Jesus speaks to our souls about anxiety. Read it in the beauty of the spring days that we have, listening to the birds outside, recognizing how our Father is caring for the birds and the flowers. This is how we remove vexation. It's, it's by giving it 
uh, to God. As Luther used to say, pray and let God worry. Uh, that's how we remove it. Uh, give it to him. So he says to the young person, rejoice, remove, and now thirdly, remember. Rejoice in the days of your youth. Remove vexation, I would say, by giving your problems to the Lord and remembering now um, who God is. And he's basically saying, make God the number one priority in your life. Remember also the Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Enjoy the blessings of God while you can. If you're a student watching this, don't wait to take your faith seriously. Take your faith seriously right now. You could have a whole long life of serving God rather than waiting another you know, 10 to 20 years before you take it seriously. Imagine what, what kind of, of uh, faithfulness and fruitfulness that your service to God right now through the end of your life would bring. The point is, you'll soon be old. My kids remind me of that often. One person said, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. <laughs> that is a great line, isn't it? Remember your creator. Remember your good God who rules the world with fatherly sovereignty. Right now in the days of your youth. Because trouble is coming. And the trouble of old age is compared here to a storm. And again, they're echoes of the early chapters of Genesis, only it's what you might call decreation, because that's what death is. Death is the unmaking of a person. And so he says, before the sun and light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, the good order of God being reversed in death. And then he gives these striking images of aging. And you may have read them and said, what on earth is he talking about? Well, I think Solomon here, Kohelet, the author, is describing aging in a very poetic way because this is his way of ascribing dignity to the elderly. He, he goes through great care to describe the aging process. So he says here, verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, this is a reference to an old person's arms. They're, they're not as strong as they used to be. Well, and the strong men are bent. Strong men here most likely refer to the legs of an older person. They are not as strong as they used to be. Or the grinders cease because they are few. This is the, this is the teeth. They're, 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 you may not have many uh, of them as you get older. Um, and the eyes, he says, uh, re referred to as windows, who look through the windows are dimmed. Their eyesight of the elderly isn't what it used to be. He speaks in verse 4 of the doors on the street being shut, which refers to ears that have trouble hearing because of the aging process. Or he speaks of the, um, the sound of the grinding being low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. The, the, um, uh, the rising up at the sound of a bird re refers to having trouble sleeping, as uh, older folks are often up very early. Um, all the daughters of song are brought low. This is a reference to the vocal cords not being what they used to be uh, for the elderly. And then the elderly are often characterized by a lot of fear. He says they are afraid 
also of what is high. And so they're afraid of, of things. They're afraid of calamity. They're afraid of being uh, attacked or falling or of an illness. And he says some beautiful words here about the elderly, saying, The almond tree blossoms. This represents white hair of the older person, since the almond trees um, are pale in the springtime. And then this striking image, the grasshopper drags itself along. <laughs> so the older person used to be a bouncy grasshopper, right? Uh, but now it is just dragging itself along. Uh, and then desire fails. This includes all kinds of desires that uh, are not as uh, desiring as they used to be. Uh, and eventually, verse 5, the older person dies. And the way he describes it is going to his eternal home. What a beautiful way to say that. That death is going home. And the mourners go about the streets. And then th these are images of death here before the silver cord is snapped, that which was beautiful and valuable is destroyed. The golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And then here is in reference to Genesis, the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit, here's the word of hope, returns to God who gave it. Now again, Kohelet is talking about life under the sun. He doesn't spend a lot of time or any time, really, speaking of resurrection, which we'll celebrate in a couple weeks, um, and celebrate indeed every day, uh, we know that to be absent uh, in the body is to be present with the Lord. And so to the young, he's saying, right now, live for God's glory. While you have strength and energy, while you can bounce around like a grasshopper, enjoy the days of your youth because you'll be dragging yourself around. Uh, while you have teeth, uh, you know, be happy because you might not have them uh, when you get older. Uh, serve the Lord right now while your legs are strong. One day they're going to be bent low. Um, right now is the time to serve God because the aging process is real. And to the older saint this morning, Kohelet is saying that growing old is, is painful, it can be sad, but look how beautiful and careful the author is here to express dignity to the elderly. And that's one of the, one of the bright things that's happening in this crisis, isn't it? I think there's hopefully uh, in people's hearts and minds a new level of respect for the elderly. I love how Psalm 116 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And we could add based on this text, the aging of the saints is also precious in the sight of the Lord. Soon, elderly saint, you will go to your eternal home. You are loved by God, elderly saint. And you can still bear fruit in old age, as the psalmist says. And though outwardly you might feel like you're wasting away, inwardly you can be renewed day by day and one day you will be renewed fully Amen. and finally as we see Christ. Number three, I gotta get on with it. Life is hard, get wisdom. I could spend a lot of time here and go into a preaching lecture, but I won't do it. I'll refrain from that. Uh, but uh, Kohelet here, or now it might even be an editor that's come in uh, to describe uh, what has just happened in this book. Uh, it's commentary on, on the, the, the book itself. And he basically says, this preacher, uh, this teacher, ha his, his teaching, his preaching, his exposition is marked by seven traits 
I'll just outline them. I won't describe them in detail. Besides being wise, so there's number one. This book is a wise exposition. The preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So his teaching is not just wise, but it's orderly. Uh, good, good teachers do that right now. We admit it's been hard to follow sometimes, Ecclesiastes, but there is a broader structure, that opening theme in the first 11 verses, that quest to find meaning in life in chapters uh, 1, 12 into 6, 12, uh, the large section on wisdom in chapter 7 through 11. Um, and so there, there, there's an orderliness to the book. Uh, we'll look at Luke, Lord willing, next week. And Luke says to Theophilus in the introduction, I'm describing to you an orderly account of the things that have happened to Jesus. Good teachers are, are orderly. But they're more than orderly. They're also artistic. Notice he says here, the preacher sought to find words of delight. And so enjoyable words. Uh, so it's wise exposition, it's orderly exposition, it's artistic exposition. Sometimes Kimberly will ask me if my sermon is finished. I, I write most of my sermons on Monday uh, and part of Tuesday, but uh, about midweek I'll say whether or not it's dancing yet. Uh, and by that I mean it has uh, some flavor to it, some hot sauce, you see. Uh, words of delight, uh, carefully constructed sentences, uh, keeping people engaged and that sort of thing. Upright, that's the fourth mark here. His teaching is, is upright, and that is um, it's, it has intellectual integrity. Um, there, there is a, there's a, a veracity to it, a truthfulness to it. He's not, he's not editing the word. He's, he's teaching it faithfully. In the words of 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, We renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. And that's, that's upright. It's also provoking exposition. That's the fifth mark. He says the words of the wise are like goads. That was a stick that was used to move stubborn animals. <laughs> Some of you parents um, can identify with this, right? You, you're trying to move a stubborn animal uh, to do his chore. Uh, but a good teacher is able to provoke, to stimulate uh, one's imagination or awe. Uh, or some type of response. A good teacher can motivate, you see. And that's what the teacher's been doing in this book. He has goaded us, made us think about death. He's made us think about uncertainty. He's made us think about meaning and joy uh, and the fear of God. But there's also a sense in which a good teacher uh, does has memorable uh, teaching. And that's the little phrase there. His teaching is like, nails firmly fixed. Uh, and so it's, it's memorable. Sometimes we say when a, a, a guy or gal gets done uh, doing some teaching, he nailed it, right? Um, that's one of my favorite memes of Luther and the Reformation with that thesis nailed up and it says he nailed it. Um, and that's, that's good teaching. It's the idea of permanence that he has, he has nailed this into my mind as one preaching professor used to say, uh, what we're doing is, is, is we're, we're taking the truth and, and, and we're planting that in people's minds in the beginning of the sermon and then we're screwing it into their minds, which is not a very pleasant kind of analogy. But it's an idea of we want it to be memorable and consistent uh, and uh, it, it has, will have a life-changing effect on them. We're trying to drive truth into people's minds and hearts. Redemptive, that's the seventh trait. These words come from one shepherd, and that's why we spent 11 weeks on this book. 
because this book, the Bible, is different than any other book. It's given by one shepherd, which some say could refer to Solomon. I don't think that's likely. I think it refers to God, our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus refers to himself as the chief shepherd, as the good shepherd, as the great shepherd. And the reason we treat this book with care, the reason we study the Bible, the reason we go through books of the Bible is because this is how we receive care from our shepherd. This is how we receive the words of life uh, by studying his word. And so there's a redemptive nature to good uh, preaching and teaching because it's about the redeemer himself, uh, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his sheep. And his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Now, there are many other books, and you're welcome to study many other books. As Kohelet says, my son, beware of anything beyond these. He's not saying you shouldn't read any other books. He's just saying there's, there, there are other books, but they're not like this book. And so beware of, of others. Measure them by this one, the Bible, of making many books. There is no end. And all the students can amen this verse. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. <laughs> I remember going to seminary and I told a guy, uh, as a very naive student, um, yeah, I am, um, I'm, I'm going into this and, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, I, I forget how I said it, but it was some, something to the effect that mental work studying isn't as exhausting as physical labor. And um, this is, was in no way to, to, uh, to denigrate one or the other. But I actually had this sort of assumption, and I think that's because I'd actually never studied before. <laughs> because I just sort of did what I wanted to do and managed to, to get by and make good enough grades so I could play ball. And then when I actually started studying, I mean really studying, uh, I found that it is indeed exhausting. Um, and so the point here is um, study the scriptures. They lead us to the good shepherd. Um, this, this life is hard, but fortunately, um, we can get wisdom as we deal with the complexity of life, the inevitability of death, and so on. The final lesson here is to remember that life is short, and so we should revere God. We don't have to rehash this because this has been, of course, a dominant theme in the book, the need to fear God. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So the book ends in Ecclesiastes, where Proverbs begins, the fear of the Lord. We worship God who is a consuming fire, so we fear him. We fear him by viewing him as most important. We fear him by trusting him, not ourselves. We fear God by delighting in his word. We fear God by treasuring his forgiveness. We fear God and when we do, all other fears are put in their proper perspective. I love Psalm 112. He, that is the man who fears God, is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. The man who fears God is not afraid of bad news. Why? Because we've got the good news. Our sins have been forgiven. We know our God. And so we can keep steady in the midst of trials. We can keep his commandments. That is, we obey him. We want to, to fear God by reverencing him, and we, we do this by taking his word seriously and living in light of it. 
And he says in verse 14, remember there is a final judgment for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And because of this, life has meaning. Because of this, all of life matters. Life is not futile. So there is a warning on, on the one hand, be ready, there is a judgment. But there's also an important truth here about the meaning of life. Everything is taken into account. Everything matters. And one, get, one day God will expose all of our thoughts and all of our actions and every last deed and every last thought will be brought into judgment. As Corinthians says, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. So what matters today is that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And this final warning points us to our need for Christ. And that this pointing to our need, a showing of our need, is a gift of grace, knowing that we will be held accountable. And Jesus Christ has made a way for us to avoid God's wrath and to be in fellowship with God, our glorious creator, and to live our lives to his glory. And Jesus did this by coming into the world under the sun. The sun came under the sun. And he suffered in this frustrating world, in this complex world, in this unpredictable world. He never committed one foolish act. Jesus Christ was the best of all preachers, faithful in his exposition, artistic, orderly, and redemptive. Jesus Christ showed us what it looked like to fear God and keep his commandments. And then Jesus, in his grace and in his love, died on behalf of those who break God's commandments. The truth was nailed to the cross, Jesus Christ. At just the right time, the good shepherd died for the ungodly. He was buried, but he didn't stay there long. And on the third day, Jesus Christ stepped out into the sweet sunlight as the vindicated and victorious Son of God. Jesus Christ is alive today. And because of that, life is not vanity. Because of this, our labor is not in vain. Because of this, we have the power to revere God and obey Him. And because of this, we have a glorious future ahead of us. Praise be to God for his word. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the gospel that we read in your word. We thank you for the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, that we see in the word. And Lord Jesus, we are grateful for all that you are and for all that you have done in giving us life through our union with you. I pray if anyone is watching this video and they have never placed their faith in Jesus as Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would receive Jesus as king and experience his grace and life forevermore. Father, keep us faithful, we pray, in these crazy times in which we live. We trust in you. We rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen.